Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM and we are streaming live on www.wcev1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. And you can also keep up with our uh, our podcasts, all of our previous episodes. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. So if you're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or TuneIn, or any other platform that I haven't mentioned, uh, mentioned you will find us at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, if you would like to give us a call and let us know what you're thinking throughout the course of our show, give us a call at 312-750-1178. Once again, that's 312-750-1178, or just feel free to tweet us. Uh, we'll be looking for it. So, welcome to another edition, as I said. Um, I am excited to, to, to get into tonight's conversation. Um, I have uh, a, a wonderful uh, guest to join me. Uh, uh, seem to have just a great conversation, and she's put me on to some uh, some really good books. So um, we're going to welcome Sister Layla Abdullah Poulos. Um, she is a multifaceted uh, 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 scholar. She is the uh, founder of NBA Muslims, as well as the uh, editor. Uh, it's a, a, a blog, and uh, she also interviews uh, as well within our, in our own platform. Um, I'm just going to stop yammering right now. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Layla. Wa alaikum assalam. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How about yourself? I'm good, alhamdulillah. Things uh, got a little, a little hectic today. He had Big Brother uh, mess around rough playing with little sister, so two stitches later, but Oh wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and not and not to mention not to mention the the promo that we sent out. Uh somebody's autocorrect got in the way and misspelled your name. Autocorrect is a blessing and a bane <laughs> <laughs> to anyone. I and I am the queen of uh, uh of typo so I totally forgive you, and it's like no, it's not a big deal at all. <laughs> well, thank you for understanding. Um, yeah, yesterday, before we, I'll just throw this out. Yesterday, my wife and I we celebrated our uh, 18th wedding anniversary. And, Alhamdulillah. Yes, indeed, indeed. Alhamdulillah. And uh, so I, I tried to sneak away for just to get a little bit of, of work in, and that's what happens when you rush. So, yeah, you can't yeah. do that. You yeah. have to give her your time and attention, men. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got the sisters back. Are you supposed to just focus on that? Yeah, I mean, and I think I learned my lesson. <laughs> you learned the lesson. Yeah. Stick, stick with the wife when it's wife time. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so, mm-hmm. so, so we've got this. We've got this great, this great book uh, that you and I have both read. As a matter of fact, uh, let me go a step further. You, first of all, you're mentioned. Um, you're mentioned. You're cited in the book. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, so go figure. Yeah, well, you know, and deservedly so, deservedly so. So the book, the book we're talking about, uh, we're talking about American Islamophobia, understanding the roots and rise of fear by Khaled Beydoun. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, uh, we had a great conversation with him about a week ago. And, um, but now we get to kind of jump back into it and, and just kind of go over uh, what are some of the things that uh, resonated with us? What are some of the things that we feel like the listening audience needs to, uh, should be looking at and thinking about? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn it over to you first. Well, I this is a fabulous book, and I and I, I, it may seem like I get a little gushy about it because one of the things that I find very very critical in my cultural observation, something that is very very important, is that when you have issues of of subjugation and oppression, one of the most critical things that subjugated and oppressed people need is a language and a means and a method and a mode to articulate themselves to really un to understand how the oppression may present itself and express themselves that way and when it comes to islamophobia for years it's just kind of like you know been up in the air it's just been like this whole gobbledygook type of thing where you know it's wrong but it's wrong. It's so the 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 wrongs that the way that it presents itself is so multifaceted. It's kind of like trying to hold on to water with a sieve. Mm. And so what Khalid Beydoun did with this book, American Islamophobia, is that he presented a frame and a structure. He plugged the holes into that sieve and said, "We're going to look at this, and we're going to frame it in a way that we can fully understand the way it manifests itself." and how it is connected to so many other forms of subjugation and oppression and we're going when we do that we can now tackle it and express ourselves in, in, in a way that is cogent and that can affect change so i thought that was that, that was the best thing i thought that that came out of this book i think that he did it in a way that i is so important because you know when you're creating a a framework for something it is very very easy to get bland and academic and just dry and he infused narrative into the book in a way that was made it very very appealing and you could stay you could stay engaged with the book and with the language that he created and everything like that so i just thought that that was wonderful and i really loved that he went after everybody. Like, he was he not did. He did. holding any punches when it came to how complicit people can be in, 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 in creating and fostering an Islamophobic environment. I liked it so much so that I just kind of totally pulled back and accepted that term Islamophobia. I'd had my own uh, opinions about it, mm -hmm. but the way that he framed this, it's like, that is not even a big deal because this is it. This is the way, this is a platform that we can start to really articulate how it is that these systems of oppression combine and really affect people across ethnicities, across races, across uh, backgrounds based on their faith. So I think he did a really wonderful job. What do you that think? Well, that was one of the, well, I thought it was a masterful job as well. And I also pre appreciate in the 
in the in the in giving uh, a substance uh, to this narrative uh, and, and a mm-hmm. language, uh, as you mentioned. I appreciate that there was a great deal of intersectionality uh, mm-hmm. present uh, in, in all of this. Uh, the fact that one of the the chapters I mean, dealing with um, anti-blackness, right, between anti-black uh, racism and Islamophobia, and how just in that this this language that was absent, uh, that was denied or you could even say a, a language that was not accessible to mm-hmm. to African American Muslims, to Black Muslims in particular. Um, well, that's synonymous. But uh, to, to Black Muslims, this language was not accessible because Islam, uh, or um, as an identity, or Muslim, being Muslim was not an identity that was recognized from our very earliest days for those who um, who came here uh, in the in mm-hmm. the bowels of slave ships. Uh, and then mm-hmm. that religious identity being denied uh, meant that it was not a part of the, the public conversation. It had very little to do with how they were treated, um, how they were subjugated or any oppression that they endured. Because um, as he I think he mentioned in, in probably in, in that chapter or in, or in another, but the idea that property, logically, property could not have religion mm-hmm. right you know your shovel is not a baptist or you know a methodist or a muslim whatever and that's how uh and that's how the african was was seen um mm-hmm. i i i really appreciate the um i i appreciate giving giving some substance uh to it um but i think to kind of go back to a point you said you've accepted the the term of islamophobia cuz he gave, he gave so many so many great uh, examples and showed how that there is a structure uh, and it, it's, it's a state supported uh, structure and it manifests itself in the actions of the citizenry. Yeah. Um, but, but it's not, but to, to term it, the, the term Islamophobia itself, this is one, this is one, one critique I think I, I, I would, I would give or ask us to think, think a little bit, uh, more broadly, uh, even though we have to, we have to come to terms with, with a term, right? We have to have mm-hmm. something that we use uh, to label it. But he he talked about, uh, I guess, phenotypical um, biases or discriminations that had very little to do that that operated independent of uh, of the reality of a person actually being Muslim or not. So we know Sikhs were. Uh, he mentioned one that was shot right after 9/11 you know, murdered mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he appeared to be Muslim. So the idea of Islamophobia is also attached to this uh, belief that there is a particular physical, uh, there are particular physical traits of, of all Muslims. And, yeah. and, and, and therein is a, you know, th- there's, there, there's a problem in that. And I, and I know he, ad- he addresses it as well, but, the term Islamophobia, you know, if I was to take any critique, then it would be just that people, when they hear Islamophobia, they may not necessarily think of the diversity in, in, in Islam and may think more of uh, of a particular ethnicity. Well, interestingly enough, you're, you're, you're right. And he does actually address that in the book on anti, in the chapter on anti-blackness. And yes. And like I said, he went after everyone, kind of. And I, um, when he talks about the complicity mm-hmm. that 
immigrant and immigrant descent Muslims have in in reinforcing that phenotype. So he talks about when the borders open and immigrant Muslims from uh, the Middle East and South Asia poured in. And what they did was they started to alienate blackness from Muslimness, purposefully so. They they tried they they um, uh, uh, discredited uh, groups like the Nation of Islam, mm. and really wanted to have that reinforce that phenotype, so that when the broader white society thought about Muslims, they they it was automatically compartmentalized to people from a certain region in the world, despite the fact. They're actually the minority of people. Even if you took Middle Eastern and South Asian Muslims together, they're still the minority of Muslims globally. But here in the United States, it was definitely a purposeful mission to make correlate Muslimness with people from those regions, despite the fact that they're the minority. And it turned around and it kind of became very, very problematic. Because you had, you know, Donna Austin said, you know, that, uh, up until a certain time, we used to say the term Muslim, you thought of black people right. in America. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of shifted over. And so especially post 9-11, where it just really is, that, that's the way the American racial, uh, uh, not racial, because Islam is not a race, but the bigoted American society mm-hmm. at all levels and echelons. Okay, and so I'm not talking about just like you know, like this, this, this uh, uh, basic stereotypical, you know, like white nationalist bigot. I'm talking across the board, uh, neoliberals everywhere. It's like that we are trained, and when I talked, remember last show I talked about the binary. We're trained to kind of like oversimplify everything and see people and boil them down to this one little thing, and so. That happens to minorities a lot. And then whenever you have a situation like that, you have to push back against that. The problem for black Muslims is that their immigrant and immigrant descent counterparts, the majority of times, don't want to push back against that. And so Harlot Beydoun represents kind of like the exception mm-hmm. to that norm. And there are a few others, but he kind of just really is like, listen, you came to this country, and this stuff was going on. Now you're a part of the society, and you're being targeted for a very specific reason. But don't think it's not from this. It, it, does, it does not play into the basic American structure of white supremacy and othering people. And so I think that just for lack of a better term at this point, mm-hmm. That's what we have is, is Islamophobia. And he made a very I, specific I completely... American Islamophobia because yeah. it is a very specific presentation. Yeah, I, I, completely, I completely agree with that. And, you know, and I think that's the point. You have to have some type of you have to have a term that you do agree on, even if even if you feel like there uh, there needs to be more discussion around it. Um, but not naming it, not having something that you use to uh, uh, to, to represent the history and, and, and the, the, the struggle uh, that's present, uh, that in itself is not acceptable. So um, it's, it's not even a real critique, just, just something that I look at in terms of um, there's, there's a lot that goes into this idea of, uh, of Islam. And, of course, um, mm-hmm. 
when we were talking about Islamophobia, it once again, uh, it is not a simple, it's not a simple uh, occurrence. Um, mm-hmm. He he also uh, he also in mentioning the the history of, of Islam in America with regard to uh, the Nation of Islam or, or or any other number of of Muslims that were um, uh, represented by you know African Americans that they were. They were, I guess, they, they were representative of the, or they were already dealing with the effects of America's, uh, of being the other already. Mm-hmm. And the problem with being, uh, being the other is that when the, the, the new wave of others come in, whatever they can do to avoid being cast in that, in the lot <laughs> that you're in, <laughs> they will do, they will do whatever is necessary to align themselves with the uh, with the, with the winners, you know that's and that's just generally how how um, how how movements have uh, have gone throughout history. Uh, nobody, at least within within American society, nobody has ever wanted to come here and be yeah you know and be called black. Well, I think that uh, depending on the, the the race of the people in that society uh, that are coming in, yeah. you kind of after one generation. If, 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 if you're black and you're coming into the United States and you may you and your generation, that first generation may decide, well, we're not the regular blackity black blacks, African-Americans. Mm-hmm. OK, we're different. OK, but the oversimplistic uh, racial structure of this society, your children are black. That's the way they're going to see your children. That's the way they're going to target your children, period, across the board. Now, because Islam is not a race. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not that simple. It's just simple. It is not that simple. Despite efforts of non-black Muslims to make it so. Okay, it just really is not. And you're going to be targeted, and there's going to be layers and intersections added to that. And you already have in from the black Muslim movement a history of resisting oppression based on those intersections of race and and religion. So it's like by alienating and pushing aside black Muslims, you know, and that's one thing that he expressed in his book, is that non-black Muslims have really done themselves and their progeny a disservice because you have people who have been dealing with white supremacy and white rage for centuries and have in many places and many times thrived despite it. Right. And and so it's like when you kind of like push that to the side and you see what the 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 border white society wants to deem as what a Muslim is, not only like you said, are other people targeted who are not Muslims, you know, like not every Arab is a Muslim, right. not every South Asian is a Muslim and they're targeted because of that. But you also do not have at your avail the uh, a, a rich history of resistance. And you also internalize it. And, you know, interestingly enough, when his book first came out, and it's a beautiful uh, uh, Muslim woman on the cover draped with the American flag, mm-hmm. two things happened, I noticed. First of all, he was asked by a non-black Muslim, why do you have a black woman on the cover? Mm. Okay, like that's something that's like, you, what, black, you know. So it's just like this 
it, it started it, it started to actually permeate that society. And they don't want to be associated with black people until they want black people to defend them from white rage because we have that history of doing that. But that's a whole other thing. But also you have white people saying, well, why does he have this woman uh, 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 d- dishonoring the flag? People who have bikini just just sitting flat, there, just on just on the cover. Just on the just cover. Just on the cover. And just that's on the cover. The and it's like brilliant. It's right. like brilliant. I wish I could ask you, did you do this on purpose? Because it's just like all those intersections kind of like fall together. All those layers fall together where you find a lot of black Muslims in that in in, in that in that vice. Mm-hmm. In that vice of uh, of of white supremacy and non-black Muslim supremacy, and it's just like they're both blinded to the intricacies of how this faith is. Okay, and it's not just black Muslims because you know the, uh, uh, Amer- Islam in America is extremely diverse, yeah. and yet not enough of us push back on this idea of having the dominant society that don't like us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, kind of frame who we are. And that was one of the cool things. Of it. I, I, I like the stories that he told. I didn't know all of this stuff about him. Oh, really? But I like the stories <laughs> that he told because he was consistent. He was consistently, when I, I, I only met him once. Like, first of all, he was way cool when um, I was a graduate student and I emailed him and I was like, I'm a graduate student and I, want, I, I love your work and I just needed some advice for some stuff. And he responded. Okay, very few people do. Right. And he and uh but just the things that he he's there, he's there and he sees what's happening and he wants he, he wants to be a true ally and he wants to open everybody's eyes. Like, look, you there know, this structure this system and mm-hmm. structure that's going on, you need to really under try to understand that and, and resist together and also understand how what what it extends from and resist that too, because we have a, a mandate a Quranic mandate to fight oppression, and we want to compartmentalize it to the oppression that is just affecting us. You know, there was okay. one thing that he did uh, that was consistent, a, a consistent thread throughout the book. Uh, he did he did quote or, or cite um, uh, Muslim men uh, on, on occasion, but there was a very, and, and like you could not help but notice this thread of citing black Muslim women in yeah. particular. And I think that this is, I think this is, uh, I'm not gonna say uh, an homage, but I think that it definitely is a representation of those who, uh, and of course not just African-American uh, women, but it is the Muslim woman who really bears the brunt more often than not of, of Islamophobia. Uh, I think in America, that's that's from from my own uh, experiences, uh, people that I've talked to. Um, I mean, and I think because Muslim women are more often than not most visible, uh, particularly particularly uh, the sisters who who choose to uh, you know wear hijab, mm-hmm. um, and to have that voice be such a such an integral part of explaining. Uh, Islamophobia, uh, explaining that marginalization, or, or explaining uh, ways to to undo it uh, or to address it. I think that was that was um, I, I was really inspired by that. 
Well, I, we have a great uh, amount of uh, black Muslim women who are phenomenal in their disciplines. And one of the things that you have to do when you're black and Muslim and a woman and like all these uh, it, all these other intersections is you have to look at those intersections and you have to look at how those intersections uh, uh, affect each other. You don't have the luxury of ignoring anything. Right. And and the only and the very few that do are because they've been insulated by other privileges that you know, a lot of uh, a lot of black Muslim women just really do not have. And so I think that one of the things that he obviously appreciates about black Muslim women is that there is this ability to chew, chew gum, walk and chew gum at the same time <laughs> type of thing and look at how all of these all of these systems are coming into play. And he's also a student of Kimberly Crenshaw. So it's kind of yes. like, you know, yeah. there isn't uh, uh, there's this encouragement of looking beyond that very uh, uh, oversimplistic way in which society and systems in society affect people. And so I think it just really was just like this kind of natural progression of since it's black women mm-hmm. and black Muslim women that are doing this at this level, then those are the people that you're going to, to, to probably cite more often than not. I mean, he cites Margaret Aziza, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Donna Austin, Saad Abdul-Khadir. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're cre- they are they have a, a foundational uh, um, perspective on looking at all of these things and how it affects people according to race, gender, and faith. And so I, I think it was just like kind of like this natural progression because so many times if, the, if people don't have those, those, those layers of intersections, they're really not going to look at, at, at things that way or they're trained not to look at things that way. And so he kind of peeled, he opened his eyes. And he appreciated it because too many times they're not appreciated. Right. And so when you have things like that, that go that that happen in Muslim communities and these voices start to come out and start to to articulate exactly how like how these systems are are working together. A lot of times they're ignored or or degraded or just simply attacked. And so he shows an appreciation for that. And then he encourages that, listen, you need to be looking at this in, in, in a multifaceted way because that's the way that it is. So I think that that was just like a natural progression to do that. I know that I do that all the time. Is You cannot really, you can't look at things just through one lens. And so uh, I think that's, that's exactly what he did. Because he went after everybody. When he went after Obama, I was like, okay, well, he's not playing it. <laughs> yeah, the, the NCS program. And you know what? Speaking of being multi multifaceted, um, I think not just looking at the reality of, uh, of the fear or hatred that has been stoked, but also looking at the roots of it uh, yeah. and, and, and realizing that policy, our legislation, right, our laws have had, a, have had an impact on how uh, Islamophobia, how the fear or hatred of Muslims or those mm-hmm. appearing to be Muslim um, has developed. And one of the things that, uh, and when I spoke to him, uh, I mentioned that I think that this book also represents a possibility, an opportunity for even deeper coalition building uh, and 
but but not just not just in you the, mean among Muslims? No, 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 not just uh, not, just not just. I'm among not Muslims. holding my breath for that. I'm just going to be real about but, it. I think that the anti-blackness and mm-hmm. Muslim societies and organizations is so deeply rooted, and no one seems really, really prepared to open their eyes. I think the only reason why Khalid uh, Beydoun's work mm-hmm. is something that's widely accepted is because he's a non-black Muslim male. Well, I think and also because there's, there's we're, element... we're, we're fortunate, alhamdulillah, that he gets mm-hmm. it, you know, and he, and he, and he uh, uh, articulates it a certain way. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you put a black name on, you put a black Muslim on that, you put a black person on that, and they'll just be just like just coldly closed and shut down. And he gets pushback. He gets pushback, but I don't think nearly as much. I'm not holding my breath for a, a collaboration, a coalition between black and non-black Muslims. I may seem defeatist about it. Well, let me let me say this to that. I think that um, when you see yourself in the story, it allows you to buy into the story. And and yep. be, because of that, because there was such a great, uh, I think, an emphasis on uh, intersectionality and also even taking it back to, to critical race theory and, and, and this also being uh, their elements of, of seeing a, a broader, uh, a deeper picture, not oversimplifying things. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, even though I wasn't speaking directly to just the Muslim community, I think that coalition is much bigger than that. Um, mm. But I'll, I'll I'll pause for a second and I'll say this: I think there are pockets, uh, there are pockets where people are working to try to see each other um, and to deal with the history that has brought us where we are, um, and also to to take some ownership, uh, not necessarily about you know pointing fingers, right? Because a lot of what he points at, what he points to, is systemic, right? The whole idea of legislating mm-hmm. whiteness, right? Having uh, people, uh, whether Lebanese or Syrians, come here and have to stand before a court, uh, before a judge, and be allowed to uh, to get their citizenship was was basically was also at the same time saying we're going to mark you down as white, and mm-hmm. you can't be considered white at at that time up until was it 1952 or something like that or 40 whatever it was whatever year it was I know it was it was early on um, that you could not be Muslim. That was that mm-hmm, was yeah. that was the first thing, right? And if you were too dark, you certainly were not going to be um, <laughs> you, you were not going to be labeled white. So, with those type of uh, those types of systemic uh, blockades put up, and the the what people would have to do, the compromises people made to try to uh, to to, to f- find their way into the system, and, and on the winning side of the system, no less. People, people, many people have, have lost their way and were pushed away from their own identity. Um, and, and those are things that I think we have to, to talk about openly. And I think mm-hmm. the book, to a degree, it does that. Like, why would people who are from the African continent um, or from the Middle East, some who are as, as dark as I am, why would, you, why would you think that you're white? Regardless mm-hmm. of what your and, and 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 what does that mean to be white? But what comes along with that? So it's a lot of unpacking that goes with it. But the coalition is much bigger than that. And how do we engage our legislative process? How do we make sure that it's reflective of a society that appreciates diversity? As a, well, I think 
I think that was one thing that he did very well. Like I didn't, uh, it, it, he didn't finger point. What mm-hmm. he did was he opened up and then he explained and he showed how you're you're still in this system, you're still in this structure. Okay, so you're thinking about like this is one sphere of of bigotry and hatred. It's just it's all coming from there. It's not all coming from there. Right. It's coming from all of these different points of uh that reinforce the system and so that's why i said even when he went after obama because it's just like he made it worse he did he did and here it is a black man and you're thinking he wouldn't make it worse and he made it worse okay mm-hmm. and how uh uh non uh, non-muslim blacks responded or did not respond to that is a, is something that he didn't get into i, I would like kind of like to love to know that one but it's just like it's 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 all of these different points. So it's like you think that if I get this segment of the population or this segment of 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 uh, politicians or this segment of popular culture and media to like me, then it's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. But that's not how white supremacy works. Layla, it let me let me ask you this real has. quick. Let me ask you this real quick. Do you uh, can you can you hang and out with this or? I can hang out if you want me to. Okay, okay, because I don't want to uh, cut you off in mid uh, in mid sentence. <laughs> so look, we're gonna take a, a short break, and uh, when we do, we will pick we'll pick this back up. Okay. Okay. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, you are listening to Radio Islam on WCV fourteen fifty AM. We're gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back. getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Hey, Mom, why is the sky blue? Why don't animals talk? Why do dogs have wet noses? Why is an 11 pronounced 21? Kids ask a lot of questions. Why do I have a belly button? But you don't have to know every answer. Why is the ocean salty? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Why are there 50 states? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. Why is pizza round? They just need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you.
Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Kalamine. We are on WCV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCV1450.com. Make sure you keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to listen to those episodes that you've enjoyed. Uh, you'll find us wherever you get your podcast at Radio Islam USA. We are talking with culture contributor extraordinaire founder of NBA Muslims uh, sister Layla Abdullah Poulos Layla okay I'm still here. all right all right <laughs> now uh, well we, we could digress from one moment I was about to say you wear quite a few hats um, uh, like myself um, <laughs> but so I'm not gonna list them all right now but thank you <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you, you were saying um, you, you want to finish the point. I had to. We had to cut the break for a second. Oh, when we were talking about uh, when when people had to alienate themselves from certain parts of their identity in order to get here into this country. Sure. And so this whole idea that if you satisfy the the broader structure of the society, the dominant culture of the society, that you've made it and that you'll be included in it. Mm -hmm. And um, in some ways that worked, but that only worked for Europeans. And mm -hmm. that was only because the broader white society realized that they were becoming a minority. And so they started to adopt uh, Europeans that they used to didn't and made them white. Okay, sure. so you had that with the um, Irish. You had it with the, the Spanish, Italians. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time they were not considered white. Right. And then they they became integrated into into whiteness so that the dominant white society can maintain majority and the i think one of the ironic things that seems that seems to have been happening is that that doesn't automatically correlate to skin color and the way the arbitrary way in which over history and he outlined some of it how people were classified as white and and, and while other people were not classified as white and sometimes skin tone notwithstanding mm -hmm. was very, very interesting. But overall, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you decide to kind of shake off to, to ingratiate yourself to that broader white Eurocentric, Christian-centric society, okay, mm -hmm. it may be secularist, but it's still Christian-centric in many ways. Mm. It's not going to get you that to that holy grail of whiteness because white people know you're not white. They know you're not white. That's why they go after you when they're mad. <laughs> and so it's it's something that is not when you're obviously not white. So if you're a certain skin cone and and you're obviously not white, and the darker you are, and the closer your proximity are you to black, it, that becomes an easier and easier distinction. But with many Muslims, it became something hazy because, like you said, of the history of immigration and, and, and categorization of whiteness that he outlines in this book. But now we're in a new day. Mm -hmm. Now we're in what uh, in, in the racialization of Islam. Okay, so what does that mean to for those Muslims that have gotten as close to the proximity of whiteness as they possibly can get? 
as well as those who race is an obvious problem, okay? So you don't have that passing privilege, okay? But you're still Muslim. And so you have all these layers that are going on. And I think one of the interesting things that he, he, very, he points out is that when you, have, when you have a culture that has people in it that have been resisting this, and you're ignoring it, you're ignoring them, and you're downplaying them because you don't want to be associated with their blackness. That's exactly what it is, because there have been many Muslim groups. You know, the Nation of Islam, not all blacks are the Nation of Islam, and black Muslim uh, uh, religious uh, ideology and culture has blossomed way past the Nation of Islam over, over decades. And so it is definitely blackness. That is the problem. It is not a matter of you can't scapegoat uh, 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 any kind of uh, religious problem problems uh, as far as the application of the religion or anything like that. It's really you don't want to be associated with black Muslims. Let me take and, it back a little mm-hmm. bit. Let me take it back a little bit to okay. the right, because uh, articulating the problem is I think he um, call it does a, a masterful job of doing yeah. that, giving the history and and showing the legal support for that and, and how public sentiment has changed and been affected by not only policy but media and how they see themselves as uh, injected uh, as actors on behalf of the state and in mm-hmm. terms of the uh, in any acts of hatred or, or, or cruelty that they uh, dish out to Muslims or those who appear to be Muslim so he does a great job with that um, what I was also, I found a lot of inspiration in, is that in articulating the problem, there's also there are also steps. Or there's a pathway towards the uh, solution, right? The solution. How do we how do we combat this? Uh, and yeah. so within that, I see there is a common there's a history, there's a common uh, a, a repeating there's a repeating history of uh, of division. Right. And this is a, a, a history of division that goes back when we're talking about uh, European nations going against uh, as they have gone into uh, African nations or any any dealing with any people of color where they have found ways to divide them, uh, pit one against the other. And we saw that also play out. He, he mentions how the uh, I believe this. No, it wasn't. It was a CVE. Uh, so the mm. whole countering violent extremism thing, right? And how they pitted uh, Shia communities against Sunni uh, communities. Yeah. And if we're looking at this model, this 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 constant, the same playbook, as Muslims, what is the one thing that can be used against us, or what has been injected into our our practice or our awareness uh, as Muslims? And that has been a over uh, a, a hyper consciousness of of race that has very little to do with cultural value, or very little to do with um, uh, I guess uh, appreciating our resilience, right? As 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 a people, and mm-hmm. more to do with the the favor that whiteness represents. Yeah. So uh, so saying that. Um, I think one of the one of the solutions or one of the responsibilities that we have is to is to is to be clear eyed, clear eyed and look at. Yes, there's there's a lot of work that I think the, the Muslim community uh, has to do within connecting the, its diverse its diverse um, 
parts, uh, bringing together and having uh, real communication and unity with a purpose, right? Not unity just to be in the same room, but unity yeah. with the purpose. And I think that is that is what that is the 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 real threat that Islam represents because it, when properly understood, it 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 totally destroys this idea of white supremacy, black mm-hmm. supremacy, anybody's supremacy, right? Um, it is it is it's it's, it's cooperation. Uh, and it's mutual aid, mutual assistance. It's mutual. It's mutually beneficial relationships. So, I think if we, if as Muslims, if we don't address uh, that point, how we have allowed race to become a um, to be a, a device, such a divisive uh, mm-hmm. factor, then then we really don't get past articulating the problem. We'll just we'll just you know, it, it'll continue to to um, to repeat itself, and we'll continue to have these relationships that are built on uh, convenience of the moment. Uh, what yeah. what is what is best for us right now? Well, I I completely agree. I I just think that the problem of race being um, an issue mm-hmm. is not something that was brought in by Islamophobia or even the dominant uh, white society. I think that anti-blackness is something that was imported because it's something that's problematic overseas as well. Sure, sure. And so when you're facing a common enemy and you have a... You you would think that you would shake off those kind of things. But, you know, racism is very tenacious. It's a very tenacious thing. I mean, the Prophet had to talk about it. <laughs> so That's it's not trick. something that is, is going away, but it's something that we can mitigate its effects on ourselves, our communities, and how it is that we resist any kind of oppression in the broader society. Right. And I think that, you know, one of the things, that, that's like one of the stories, the story with him and Magri Aziza and Asha Noor. Oh, my where, God. Please, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yes, that that is that's critical. Please go ahead and, and give give okay. us a quick synopsis. So there was a meeting that he was invited to, mm-hmm. and uh, he was wondering why it was that black Muslims there were no black Muslims that were invited to it, and especially some pretty key figures in uh, anti-racism work, like Margaret Aziza, the co-founder of Muslim Art. And Asha Noor was an activist, and so he took he 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 went into the meeting with them. <laughs> he was like, "Oh no, you weren't invited. Okay, let's go." Okay, and so it's just really that story is indicative of what needs to be done. First of all, two things. First of all, is indicative of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't possibly think that you're going to tackle and effectively resist any manifestation of anti-Muslim bias and Islamophobia while you yourself are being bigoted. (laughs) How are you going to address bigotry if you're being bigoted yourself? And how can you possibly struggle and resist against this when when you're alienating 
a, a third of the of the population, and you're alienating key figures in resisting against forms of oppression across the board in American society. You have them at your avail, but you don't want them there. You know, I was like, nobody knows your name. Nobody's glad you came. That happens in Muslim spheres as well. And the other thing is that when you find yourself in that position, Mm -hmm. because there were other non-black Muslim men that were sitting in there when they walked in there and everybody looked uncomfortable, like he said, you know, and so, but they didn't notice, they didn't want to notice, or they did notice and did not have the inclination for any kind of corrective actions or measures. What we need are people like Khalid Beydoun who's ready to do that, who's ready to kind of say, listen, you're short. You're being short-sighted here. Why aren't these people at the table? And so, um, until that really effectively happens, and it's he's not the only one that kind of sees that and is doing that, mm-hmm. then it's always going to be like you said, like this vicious cycle, and, yeah. the, and 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 in the moment, you know. So even like for instance, like Stefan Clark, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was all angry because they found out that he was Muslim. Okay, two weeks later. Where's that anger and that rage? Right. right. We still hear about our three heroes. We still hear about them. People still tweet about them on their anniversary, the deaths of the uh, the three non-black Muslims. Okay? We still hear about that. And Stefan Clark is just a ghostly memory to non-black Muslims now. So until that is really tackled and handled, and the cultural paradigm is one, of of real allyship and solidarity and fighting multiple manifestations of oppression, Islamophobia is not going anywhere. Well, you know what? That that also lends to a a much, um, I think, a much longer conversation with regard to the public, the the narrative that is being told about uh, about Muslims. Who who is speaking for American Muslims? (laughs) And what exactly does a an American Muslim look like? And because of that, uh, and and I'll tell you, we, we actually had uh, we spoke with um, brother um, uh, Faris um, Barakat, the brother of uh, Dea, uh, one of the you know, our three runners um, who passed. We spoke with him I think last week, and one of the things they talk about is reclaiming the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. But with such a diverse community, such a diverse population. Um, that is a narrative that has many different, uh, many different articulations. Uh, it is not one is not one single voice, no. and but you know, but I think we are used to working in a, in a way where uh, the person who has the microphone or the person who is up speaking, uh, that's the one whose issues or concerns are um, uh, are taken seriously, or you know, this becomes the representation. So there are, I think that the, the book, like I said, it, it articulates everything, uh, I think, uh, beautifully. The next steps to that, aside from, I'm, I'm going to pull back from the external coalitions, the next step to that, uh, uh, as you just mentioned, are having people within our community who are willing to stand up and, and, and be honest. I, I think, you know, we, we all have to, we have to be honest about what our biases are, uh, what what are the things that are stopping us uh, from connecting, and mm. and but but until we do that, um, 
I, like I said, until we do that, then we can't really expect anything uh, different, um, you know, to come. Well, about. we we definitely have isolated uh, isolated cluster problems. And I I think that one of the things, and he's probably going to want to kill me for telling this story, but when I first met Khalid, Mm -hmm. uh, I was at the Black Muslim Psychology Conference. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful convening. I went last year. Organized by Camila Rashad. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I noticed about him was that he, you know, there were very few non-black Muslims in the space, and he was a guest speaker. Right. But beyond... Outside of speaking at the at the podium or on the panel, I kind of like noticed the way he navigated through that sphere, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the way the the comfort that he had, and you know the way that people kind of like flocked to him and sat and he listened to people. He listened to people and and he gave uh, responses to people that were very empowering. Right and. It's that's not an easy thing to happen in Muslim societies because we definitely have these clusters of isolation and we set that up. Sure. Okay. Sure. And so until we have more people that can kind of like navigate through those different clusters and, and and we can break through them and come together and kind of like always have in the back of our mind that it is complex. Mm-hmm. And what am I not thinking about? And who am I not thinking about? And who am I not listening to? Mm-hmm. You know, then we're going to continue to, to have that problem. But I think that there, there are other uh, non-black Muslims that, are, that, that do it well. Uh, Namira Islam from, uh, uh, from Muslim Art, she, 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 uh, you know, she, she really is very good at kind of doing that, like, not just looking at it one way. And so we, as long as we have people and the, the Muslim culture continues to nurture and, and, and grow Muslims that are able to do that, I think that that will slowly whittle away. It may not be our lifetime. Right. Well, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah. It will slowly whittle away. Yeah. But I also think that we need to appreciate um, We are how it down is to that one minute. Um, okay, I'm one so, minute. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I mean like, like I gotta, we we've gotta table the rest of this until our next time. I'm so sorry. I know. Uh, I don't okay, want us to get cut off. Wait a minute. Did you get? Did you get tried and tested? Huh? Tried and tested. Did you get that yet? Uh, no, but I'm going to get it. Um, we want to thank. <laughs> we want to thank <laughs> Layla Abdullah Pulos, uh, cultural con- uh, contributor, uh, founder of uh, NBA Muslims, for joining us this evening. We want to thank our. Uh, engineer over at WCV Ramon, thank you very much. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim, Ibrahim Bake. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. And we thank our executive producer, Abdul Malik Mujahid. The views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Inc. We're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. 